You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. There is a misprint in the bulletin, so the scripture is actually Luke 24, verses 36 through 53. If you'd like to take a second to turn there, um, there are Bibles in the pews, or you can use your own or an app, and I'll give you a moment to turn there. Again, Luke 24, verses 36 through 53. I'll be reading from the ESV. As they were talking about these things, Jesus, oh, I'm sorry, please stand for the reading of God's word. My children are distracting me. Uh, Luke 24, 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, That the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. This is the word of God for the people of God. So uh, Easter is a celebration of the resurrection, if you didn't know that. Uh, It's not about the Easter Bunny, nor is it about life after death. So um, let's edit that out of our vocabulary. It's not about the hereafter. 
Uh, it is about specifically the defeat of death uh, by one man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And uh, if you think about death as a, as a person, which is the way the Bible talks about death, like uh, a supervillain, you know, in an Avenger movie like Thanos, which actually means somebody who, death, uh, the Grim Reaper, that's the way to think about death. And Easter is Christ coming to defeat this one uh, who everyone uh, knows about and everyone watches. It's not like the devil or demons where you could, you know, question whether they exist or not. Maybe they exist, maybe they don't. Everyone knows that death exists. And everyone knows that death annihilates and pulverizes and extinguishes everyone. Turns them into worms. And so this is, um, this is the one that Jesus came to defeat. He came here uh, to defeat death. It was like, a, it was like a, a cage match. It was a standoff. And death presents like ultimate annihilation and emptiness and nothingness. And Jesus comes with a presence uh, that is greater than death. Something is actually larger than death. And I want to look at those two things briefly. The invincible death, the arch-villain, um, the evil genius, and then a presence greater than death. So the story is, is like this. Uh, Jesus has risen in Luke 24. Uh, it's been several days since that has happened. Um, and the disciples are devastated because they thought this was the Messiah. They thought he would defeat Rome. They thought he would liberate Israel. Uh, they, can't, they couldn't imagine him dying, so they're kind of stumbling back to their old way of life, you know, with wandering steps and slow. Uh, they're going back to their old occupations. They're crushed with grief. Um, but then, as two of them are walking back to their home in Emmaus, Jesus actually appears to them. They have this vision of Jesus. And so they go running back to Jerusalem, hoping they'll find some of the other disciples are still there, rather than going back to their hometowns. And sure enough, when they get there, the other disciples are there. And right before the two who've gone to Emmaus and come back, they're about to tell them, we've seen the Lord. All of them suddenly tell them, we've seen the Lord. So it's like this moment of synchronicity where they both say at the same time, we have seen the Lord and he is risen. And meanwhile, Jesus is standing outside the door of that room, probably the upper room in Jerusalem, and as they are yelling back and forth, we've seen the Lord, Jesus suddenly appears. He flings open the door and he says, peace to you. Shalom, shalom, verse 36. He, it's the customary Jewish reading. Shalom. And so uh, it's kind of like a reverse surprise party. You know, when you surprise someone for their 50th birthday, say they walk in a room and everybody's there and they say surprise. In this case, Jesus is surprising all of them by saying on his birthday, the true birth, the new birth of the new life, he comes in and he tells them surprise. But uh, their reaction is quite a letdown. They have just been talking about how they saw him. He has just appeared himself in person. And look what it says in verse 37. They were startled and frightened. I mean, why would, why would Luke make that up? Um, that's such an un unexpected reaction from them. You would think they would have celebrated and said hallelujah, but they were, they were startled and frightened. They were just celebrating the fact they had seen him. And now when he's actually there, it says in verse 37, they thought they saw a ghost. The literal word in Greek is a ghost. So why is it that a ghost is more believable to us 
than actually this thing called the resurrection. Why is that? Why can't they believe what is right before their eyes? The hardest of hard evidence, and yet they still don't believe. And I would say you wouldn't believe either if you had been there. Um, And I think the answer is because death is such an abuser, if you want to make a comparison, such an abuser who just crushes our hopes over and over and over again, day after day after day. We see people die, die, die. It's like this horrible uh, husband that you just don't believe would ever go away. Um, That's what death is like. It's worse than that. And hard evidence is not sufficient to overcome the despair that death has created in all of us. It's like the ultimate trauma. To just watch this thing happen again and again and again. It's like if you were trying to get pregnant for years and years and years. And you had a positive pregnancy test. Your first thought is not going to believe oh, I'm pregnant. You're going you're to be really wondering. You're going to be doubting that. Even though that evidence is right in front of your eyes. Because death is so horrible. It's such a nightmare. Um, it's so prevalent. It's ubiquitous. After uh, the author C.S. Lewis died, his, uh, his wife died, uh, who was his best friend, Joy Davidman. Uh, when his wife died, he wrote, a, he wrote a journal that got published as a book. And if, if you know somebody that has died, especially really close to you, I would encourage you to read the book. It's called a, um, a Grief Observed. That's the name of the book, A Grief Observed. And um, this is what he writes, the death of a beloved is an amputation. How often will the vast emptiness astonish me again, like a novelty? The same leg is cut off day after day after day. Um, I've never lost a loved one, but I assume that that is true from what I've heard of other people. Just the absence, that's what's so horrible about death, it just, it just eviscerates, just completely destroys all that we love. I remember, this is a very small example, but I remember our dog Lucky died, who we loved for many, many years. And I remember uh, the next day um, just looking for his hair on the ground, which had always annoyed me. But just something about the absence of that hair, um, you know, a couple of days later made me think, this, this, this huge hole is now in my life. And I kept waiting to hear, you know, that sound of his feet, you know, clicking against the wooden floors. And it just, just didn't happen. And when people tell you that death is natural, you know, that it's part of the circle of life, um, it's part of the evolutionary process, when people say it's, it's necessary part of life, the Bible says, no, it is, uh, it is the greatest curse that hangs over humanity. In the day that you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. That was God's curse on us. And my dad is dying right now, and the word natural is like the... The worst word in the vocabulary you use for what's happening to him. It is a loss of memory, a loss of speech, a loss of mobility, basic bodily function. I would not describe it as natural. I would describe it as incredibly unnatural. It erases like every beautiful aspect of a person or an animal. And the thing is, we know it's going to happen to us all, don't we? I mean, there's no avoiding it. You can't sidestep it. And it haunts you continuously. Even when you don't know about it, the Bible says the fear of death has held you in captivity your entire life long. You know, we don't even use the word 
It's like the word Voldemort in Harry Potter. They would, it's like he who would not be named. You can't say his name because it's so terrifying. Like people just don't say death. When I was talking to my mom and my brothers about my dad dying, I would say, he's, you know, he's about to die. And I was like, ooh, like, don't say that. But that's obviously like what it is. So that's the first point is that there is this monster out there, uh, the greatest of all monsters. His name is Death, and he seems pretty invincible. But the second point is that the, the whole story of the Bible is undoing that curse. In the day you eat of that tree, you will surely die. It's about another tree, another cross in which death is defeated. Verse 46 says, Christ will suffer. He will not sidestep death. He will suffer. He will go into death. But on the third day, he will rise from the dead. He, he didn't come here to avoid dying. He came here to die, to walk into the, the dark and bloody layer of death where all these bones are. He walked into that layer, was killed, and came out again alive with the scars to prove it. That's what, that's what the Bible promises, that he will... Suffer and die, verse 46, but on the third day he will rise from the dead. And something happens in this story where he takes them from, initially they're frightened that they saw a ghost. And at the end of the passage in verse 52, they're worshiping him with great joy. So what is this thing that happens? How does he overcome their fear of death? How will he overcome your fear of death uh, sitting here today? Well, the first thing he does is he says in verse 39, see my hands, my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. He's kind of uh, exasperated, I think. He is so eager for them to know him. He's like, go ahead and fingerprint me. You know, do a retinal scan. Whatever it takes, it is me. The same one who went into the grave, it is me still here with you. Verse 40, he showed them his hands and his feet. And it's not just anybody. It's him. It's his particular presence. It's his unique presence. And that is what is starting to melt away their fears. It's actually starting to destroy their unbelief in a way that just seeing him couldn't do it. Verse 41 says, but they still disbelieved for joy. Love that phrase. It's too much. They disbelieved for joy, but they're they're marveling like they're almost there. The presence of his hands and his feet and his actual fingerprints That's getting them close, but they still disbelieve for joy. I remember we were, uh, I was reading uh, letters with my wife last night when we first met in London um, in 1991. And uh, after I met her, I just was, I was just hoping and longing for her to want to date me. Uh, The entire semester we were in London. Then when we got back, I became a Christian and I started to pray for her to want to date me for, for months. And it was so many months of disappointment and just thinking this is not going to happen. Um, but when she finally held my hand, I disbelieved for joy and was marveled. I mean, I, it was like, is this really happening? Uh, do I really have her with me here? Like, is, is it she herself that I have with me? I disbelieved for joy. And that's just dating. This is death. This is overcoming the greatest nightmare that we all face. It's the death of the Messiah, of all their hopes and dreams. And it's like an endless cavity, like a bottomless pit that they are facing. 
such that even the fingerprints of the resurrected Lord are not enough to overcome that. But there is one thing that does finally overcome it. And this is where I want to end. Um, The climactic revelation of his presence is a meal. It's taking uh, a meal together. And it's eating together. Which is interesting. Whenever you want to like commemorate a really special occasion, like an anniversary, or my first date you know, with Margie, I wanted to take her out. And not to McDonald's, but to a really nice place. Or when you're having a wedding, you have a big meal afterwards. Um, and it should be really good food. And so in verse 41, I love that he says to them, um, well, clearly my hands and feet are not enough, nor is seen my uh, actual face. So have you anything to eat that is here in verse 41. And I imagine him like looking at them a certain way, like kind of baiting them. Um, Because what a person likes to eat is such a signature of who they are or what they like to drink, what they order, what they prefer. So it says they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And I imagine that there was a certain way that he liked to eat fish. And in that region, tilapia was the big catch. So I imagine it's a piece of broiled tilapia, maybe extra crisp, you know, with a little bit of lemon on the top, um, a little olive oil, you know, drizzled over it. But it's, it's, it's the stuff he likes, you know. It's, it's his way of eating. It's just the way he likes it. And so the meal, it's the meal that actually finally seals the deal and makes them believe and, and worship him and rejoice. And that's why we celebrate this meal. Um, That's why the church has always celebrated a meal as a part of their worship. This is why during COVID, we decided we could not stop meeting together. So uh, what we did, we met outside. We met right in front of that front lawn for over a year. And we did it because of this meal. Because we knew that um, we had to uh, eat together and drink together. And that um, when we do this, Jesus is with us here as much as he was with them then. He is still very, the resurrected Lord is here. And the reason he's here is because he didn't just rise from the dead. You know, if he had just risen from the dead, uh, he would be somewhere in in the world right now at a certain GPS location, right? He would be one person walking around somewhere, maybe in the Middle East still, but you know, he could actually go around to all his churches around the world and visit every now and then. But, but when he ascended, not just rose, but ascended the next level and entered into the invisible realm. From there, he can actually be with all of us at once. So every church in the world that is right now, and there are many, there are probably millions that are at this very moment in different time zones celebrating this meal with us. And he can be with all of us, all of us at once. And I love how the last thing he did, you know, whenever there's a meal, there should be a blessing. There should be a benediction. And the last thing he did in verse 50 As it says, lifting up his hands, he blessed them as he was being carried away. So I just see this image of him, like, as he's going up into the sky, his hands are out and he's blessing them. He's saying, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace. That was the way they saw him go. That was the permanent impression they had of him. So that when he's leaving, he is proving this unique kind of presence with us, a presence of blessing. I I don't curse you. I don't condemn you. I leave you with a blessing. So on your deathbed, when you think you're 
walking into the waves entirely alone. I mean, what could be more alone than that? You know, you're walking slowly into the waves. You think you're going to be alone. There will be a presence. If you believe in Christ, there will be a presence there. Because I've actually had this happen to me. I almost died. Um, actually, to do the, the shock of the paddles, you know, the paddles of life. And uh, I remember as I was walking into death, or felt like I was, as they were, you know, juicing up the paddles, uh, a presence. There was a presence there. And uh, I just saw Les Mis, uh, the musical. And at the end of Les Mis, the hero, Jean Valjean, is on his, in his chair alone. He thinks his whole family is, has left him. But as he's dying, the presence of uh, Fantine comes up from behind and embraces him. And we believe that that will happen to us. And Fantine says uh, this, come with me where chains will never bind you. All your grief at last, at last behind you. The darkest night will end and the sun will rise. Remember, we love these rascals.